If you're thinking about starting a podcast, let us tell you about Anchor. First off, it's free, and you can record and edit your show through your computer or phone, or import your show from whatever recording software you already use. Anchor will then distribute your show for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And probably the best part, you can start making money with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to start a podcast from start to finish in one place, and it was a super easy switch for us. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Hey folks, welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Scott. Hi, this is Dr. Shiloh. Oh, did I surprise you? Are we starting? Because I'm looking at Twitter. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. We can multitask. I yeah, kind of it for on sure. You. Yeah. So um, this is really exciting. Uh, not um, only because I gave you the newest <laughs> challenge coin of the agency I work with, but that was really cool. I don't know. Thank does, you. I wonder if our does our audience know what a challenge coin is. Um, Maybe, you know, early on when we were designing merch, I kind of threw it out there like, hey, would anyone be interested in a challenge coin? And it was kind of crickets. Crickets. Um, but I still think it's a good idea to do LA Not So Confidential one. I think we should. So a, we should. a challenge coin um, is, uh, it looks like a coin. It's very elaborate, designed with um, color, usually sometimes 3D. And it started in the military where each branch of the military or specialized units would trade these coins. And very traditional in law enforcement for each unit, division, department, uh, specialized team to have their own. And to get a, like an updated one like every couple of years at yeah. least. Yeah. yeah. And um, so around where we work, everybody has a desk with a display. And of course, I feel like a, the low, I've got like maybe... 10, you know, from the different That's people. That's great. It is pretty you cool. You have a baby collection. I know. It's nice. But like the LT that I work with has like, they're, they're literally all over every available space of his desk and cabinet. It's pretty cool. And they're from all over the world, yeah. which is amazing. It's it's really changed. There was a, a culture for a while or, or part of the culture where it was, you know, kind of part of this drinking game in a sense that like if people, if you're out at a bar with colleagues, like after a training and everyone takes out the you know, their challenge coin, the last one or the person who doesn't have one on them is the one that has to buy drinks. I had no idea. That's cool. Well, damn, I got to keep one on me. Yeah. There's this thing about always keeping one on you. I think, um, it's definitely gotten away from that because there is this, even with my division, we were designing a challenge coin and some of the psychologists were like, well, but it kind of represents this drinking culture. Oh, come on. And I was like, not, I mean, people treat them, people collect them. I mean, look around. Yeah. It, it just the collections on people's desks. Yeah, um, sometimes Sykes can I over. Know. We can we, we can over process things. <laughs> We're Debbie Downer at the party yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you. It's a really really nice one. I don't we'll, think we'll, I've seen any. Oh, that we nice. can't. I can't really put a picture of it up, but no. it's really cool. We'll you sh- can put we'll, a picture of your collection. Yes, I will. I'll do that. I have I have a I have two 
stands on my bookshelf. Oh, I have, that's neat. I had to have my husband make me another coin stand. Yes, and mine are in the, the one yeah. he made for me. Well, your, maybe your, we'll get your one scary done. husband. Um, <laughs> and I got, you know, the, the ones that I like are amazing to me are the ones that I got from um, my nephew, who was both Secret Service and FBI. And those are really cool. Yeah, that's um, really neat. Yeah. So the other thing is that we made a big announcement on social media. By the time everybody listens to this, you're already, already going to see it on Instagram yeah. and Facebook. Book. But as we record, today is the day that we and Crawl Space Media announced that we are now part of their family, which is really exciting. It's very exciting for us. I mean, we're part of a, a, a not really a fledgling network. They have done, no. these are the, the guys that have produced Missing Mara Murray, which is an unbelievably complex and challenging story about just someone disappearing off the face of the earth. And I found in listening to it that the more I learned about the story, the more disturbing it got just because there is no resolve to anything. Yeah. And, and they did talked, a fantastic job. With we talked it. with Tim um, on Missing Maura Murray and their latest episode. It's called Forensic Psychology. Um, and Missing More Murray, I think, is the title. So we joined him to talk about our theories, a couple other stuff. We spin off into a couple other areas talking about incels um, and just forensic psych. But it, we're very excited. We we really admire the work they do and the podcast that they have brought onto their network. It's a great collection of so, people. Yeah. And we will all be at the, the American Crime Fest in New Jersey in November. So please come out if you can, because there's going to be some... Great stuff, great panels, yeah, not just the podcast, but other speakers. It's going to be exciting. There's, we're planning for that. We've got you know next year's True Crime Podcast Festival again, this time in Kansas City, yeah. which is going to be an, a, a completely different atmosphere and venue, which will be very cool. We'll be reuniting with Getting Off for a live show. Yes, which will be so cool. But we yeah. also are hoping that we'll be, get to do some crossover work with um, the Champagne Girls, as I call them, <laughs> for Death by Champagne, and some of our other colleagues. Yeah. We just also did a, a Hong Kong confidential, Jules, that we met at the conference just to use some of our interview uh, Well, it's going to be on right? our new podcast. It won't be on Hong Kong confidential. It'll be on Fool Me Twice. Oh, right. Which is okay. coming out in October. So Jules has an existing podcast called Hong Kong Confidential that she interviews just all sorts of people, expats. Uh, current residents, people that like just have come together in this sort of major, you know, culturally diverse, you know, impactful place in the world. Mm -hmm. And she has access to all these people. And we got to meet her. She told us a little bit about our story and asked us if we would asked us, when am I going back to Alabama, <laughs> asked us, us to uh, participate. And that was one of the, the neatest interviews. But we had such an exciting morning that neither of us ate. I know. And, and we were, you were, I was flying on fumes. Burned out. Yeah. By the end of the night, I was gone because we had so much fun. That that panel with uh, getting off was just, right. was amazing. So, okay. Uh, so what are we doing this week? This week is something I think is fascinating. I mean, sometimes we just talk about. I, mean, I, I think we do talk about the fringe of psychology most mm -hmm. of the time. It's certainly in undergrad, this would be what's considered abnormal psychology. Pretty right. much everything we talk about, because the abnormal psychology is usually 
pretty much a part of why people intersect with law enforcement. Well, it's all the interesting stuff. It is the really interesting <laughs> stuff. I was a criminal justice major in undergrad and took an abnormal psych class and was like, oh, I need to I need to dabble in this too and ended up double majoring because so many classes um, overlapped that it was easy to do. Yeah. But yeah, you've been wanting to do this topic for a long time. Yeah, for a couple of reasons, and I'll, I'll, I'll loop around to it. One of them is because even before I came into this field, when I was still doing post-production in the entertainment industry, I stumbled upon, well, we were working on uh, Lord of the Rings and a bunch of other Peter Jackson movies. So in studying his other work, his earlier work, I became unbelievably fascinated with the movie Heavenly Creatures. And we'll circle back around to it, I promise, because it's one of the major things we'll talk about. But although the actual story that it's based on, we'll never actually know if these two individuals were involved in this uh, particular diagnosis. (laughs) But it's a perfect representation of the diagnosis and the subject we're talking about today, which is Folea Dew. So Folea Dew... Is sounds so gorgeous. It I mean, does. it's like pot of do, a dance right. of two. Well, folia uh, do is basically madness of two, and it's what we call a um, a shared psychosis or a shared delusional disorder. And what makes it fascinating is that there are examples throughout history, and there's probably more examples than we'll actually ever know about because. Delusional disorder, as we've said in the past, some people with delusions can be so high functioning that, for one, they're never going to really come in contact with mental health unless it's something that causes harm to themselves, and they have no insight right. into their disorder, none, no insight whatsoever. So they would actually not seek out mental health treatment. Right. Although they're not being distressed necessarily by the delusion. No, they're the, they're distressed by things going on, or maybe part well, of. What, what they think is really happening, exactly. but they don't know that they're suffering from a delusion. Right. So I think we've touched on this before, but delusions are fixed beliefs that they're immutable. They don't change even when the individual, when the person is presented with conflicting evidence. So, you know, I've had this, ex- I mean, I've worked with uh, several people with delusional disorder in my day-to-day work and it is, it's jarring at times that you can see people that are so well put together that are convinced that they're be- they've been stalked for 30 years by a person they met once. Well, this is, is when we talked about it was when we did our stalking episode. Right, right. That's interesting. But here there actually is no stalking. There's right. just the belief that one is being persecuted. And so... Even the person with the fixed delusion, when they're presented with uh, hard evidence that it's not possible, the delusion then curves around any logic. It curves around any logic in order to, to maintain the stability of that fixed static belief. So what we have here... Before I even go into fully ado, I just want to say that, like, while there are four major types of delusory systems or delusions, uh, I'm only going to talk about two as they relate today. So first, we have bizarre delusions. We've touched on this before. Bizarre delusions are clearly, clearly implausible, and they're not understood by the people around this individual who has the actual diagnosis, which then makes it even more difficult because if the person 
is, you know, really integrated this belief system that begins to push other people in their lives away. Mm-hmm. They may isolate or they may push people away. Well, so your your delusion now is closing the bubble around you. You've right. created your own echo chamber. These people don't understand what I'm talking about, so or I'm they just don't stop. believe exactly, right. or they don't believe me, so they're not going to get it. I'm just not going to talk to them about right. it anymore. So, uh, what's a good example? Uh, a good example is of a bizarre delusion would be an individual who is just convinced that an alien teleported into their bedroom the night before and removed their brain and replaced it with a robot brain, right. a piece of uh, mechanism. And it didn't leave any scars. There are no blood. You know, so... But they are convinced that a part of their body has been completely removed. And maybe it's been switched to another person or it's been replaced with something other than mechanics. But they have this fixed belief that this has happened, even though clearly on a number of levels that particular example would be implausible. Um, Some people believe in aliens. I'm ambivalent about the subject, but I'm just not really sure that that would be something that they would be interested in. So circling back around to the idea that this sort of procedure could even exist, then it's not leaving any scars. It's not, there's no, there's no objective observable proof except for the person's belief in it. And they would have an answer for that if you confronted them. Absolutely. They'd have an answer for it. So, but it's so far outside the realm of plausibility to the objective observer. That's why we would classify it as bizarre. So then on the other hand, we have non-bizarre delusions and those are pretty common generally among people that have personality disorders because it's on a spectrum. So it's either mild to severe and the mild ones would be probably subsumed within the behaviors of somebody with a personality disorder. But an example would be that, um, you you know, we're convinced that, um, Mark Zuckerberg is, uh, following us through our cameras on our, on our laptops. Right. And he is, um, monitoring us personally and he's monitoring my conversations and he is listening to me and placing uh, advertisements on my Facebook feed as a result to make sales. He is. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, the, the, the objective truth of that is that that does actually happen. Right. Google is listening to you. Alexa is listening to you. Your phone is listening to you. It's all listening to you. It's not one particular person. Yeah, it's not Mark doing it personally to Shiloh. Right, exactly. Unless he is. Or is he? Or is he? But could it be as simple as someone just thinks their um, spouse is sleeping with everyone at their work and... Um, you know, lots of other people and they're going to have them followed and there's never any evidence from the private investigator. Yeah, but that's where it gets. That's that's not bizarre. That could happen. Right, but that's an, you're bringing up a really interesting example because that does fit some of the more prevalent uh, exhibitions or examples of this. Let's say that one of the extreme examples is that a man is convinced that his wife is cheating on him Mm -hmm. and he accuses her. You're cheating on me. You're cheating on me. You're cheating on me. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm at work all day. And so they install cameras and he, you know, checks in with her. You have to have your, you have to have FaceTime on all day so I can watch you. And, 
it doesn't matter. No matter what they do, you know, his belief is going to find some way around it. Well, you're sending signals to your boss and you're going to meet him. But I've been with you 24 hours right. a day. So on one hand, is it possible that she's having an affair? It is possible she's having an affair, but it's not possible she's doing it 24 hours a day while she's being observed sure. on Facebook, sure. on FaceTime. So anyway, so there's obviously, I think those are pretty extreme examples of like plausible versus very implausible. Um, so back to Foley Adu, it's a shared psychotic disorder. It's when two people share the same delusion. There's usually one that is like we've talked about in spree killers or people who are involved in crimes together, that there's usually a dominant personality and a more passive personality. Right. In this particular paradigm, we talk about the inducer. The inducer is the person who generally has the psychosis, the delusion that is stemming from an underlying mental health issue. So they would be known as the primary. Exactly. Also. Exactly. So they have the the belief and they, I don't want to say force it on it, but they present it and they convince the person, not necessarily you have to believe this, you have to believe this, but because their belief is so strong, that individual who is attached to them, and right. it's usually someone who does have emotional attachment issues, will tend to start to integrate that belief system into their own lives. So it can even go beyond two. So folie a deux is madness of two. We have folie a trois, madness of three, folie a quatre, madness mm -hmm. of four, and then into mass hysteria. I think there's even a French term for it. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm totally going to butcher this because I had two semesters of French a oh, me too. gazillion years ago. And it's folie a plus madness of several. I think that's it. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. So we usually, um, or sorry, we previously had this diagnosis in the DSM-4, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which they revise and edit every two years so that we have to pay another $75. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> it's a total conspiracy. <laughs> I believe it, Shiloh. I believe it. But the DSM-5 uh, doesn't have fully ado. They do uh, call it shared, uh, shared delusion or shared psychosis. So, so it is a real diagnosis. It is a real diagnosis as opposed to we're still fuming about Stockholm Syndrome. We're right. still a little worked up about it because we found more <laughs> evidence of people using it inappropriately. Yes, we did. Uh, but uh, back to folio do, it's very difficult to screen and pick out and diagnose because generally speaking, the person most affected by the condition, like we said before, they don't understand their challenges and they lack insight into the veracity of their belief. So they don't seek out treatment because they can't grasp that their belief is outside the normal parameters of human functioning. And this is because of the uh, imbalance between like the alpha versus the beta interpersonal exchange. So the inducer or the primary on the subordinate in that relationship. And what makes this condition particularly insidious is that these static beliefs, the fixed beliefs most often come on in incremental or gradual movements and then strengthen with time. So it's it's not like the person comes in and says, hey, my brain was, my, our brains are being replaced by alien robots overnight. It's like, hey. Why do they have to have a southern accent? Because <laughs> it's from Florida, man. We'll have oh, to talk God. to Florida man about that. That's, that's my go-to is just go to my southern accent. <laughs> well, you can do that because you're from okay. the south. Hey there, I got a robot brain. Um, 
I can do that. That's not culturally inappropriate because I'm from Alabama. That's the like the weakest excuse to Isn't ever it? do anything. Because I am that. Yeah, or I have friends, so I can right. say that. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so it, it's done a little bit over time, sort of, if you will, desensitizing the other person to this right. crazy idea, and then they start buying into it little by little. Exactly. And, and now and, now you have a secondary person reinforcing what you're thinking. Oh, God, that's got to be so powerful. Right. So you've now, in your little bubble of delusional belief, you have an echo chamber that is not just you. It's someone else that is now you know adding more fuel to that flame. So like I was saying, the new term in the DSM-5 is shared delusional disorder. And they did narrow it down previously from several criteria down to three really solid ones. So this is, excuse me, I'm so sorry. This is directly from the DSM. They must have a delusion that develops in the context of a close relationship with an individual with an already established delusion. So that's talking about the subordinate versus the inducer. The delusion must be very similar or identical to the one already established that it is the primary case has. And the delusion cannot be explained by any other psychological disorder, mood disorder with psychological features, direct result of physiological effects of substance use, or any general medical condition. So if it's what we call methaphrenia, if it's two tweakers in a parking lot right. trying to turn that shopping cart into a rocket ship <laughs> so they can go to Xenu, that would be substance That induced. would be substance induced psychotic disorder. <laughs> Xenu. I just came up with that particular, uh-huh. just right out of my rear end. So the signs and the symptoms, if we move on, what I think is very interesting about some of the examples we're going to give today is we there's nobody that gets into this that doesn't have an underlying issue certainly people without psychosis can be drawn into it as a subordinate but the subordinate generally in the cases that we've looked at have all shared criteria they've been socially isolated they've had what i would say are pretty clear attachment or trauma or abandonment issues so there's just this immediate attachment that's pretty unhealthy i mean a, a you know, it's the same thing if you go on one date with somebody and they're already proposing and you right. know arranging furniture. Or like, just family should be a red flag. that are very enmeshed with each other. Right. That's why we typically see it in family members. Right. Right. Or Especially married couples. Right. And high religiosity can happen. Uh, can be correlated with that as well. So this is the one that like. Here's the thing, folks. Always, if you're going to any research online, always go to the sources. Don't just rely. I mean, I love Wikipedia. Wikipedia is amazing, but don't just rely on what's on the page because anybody could edit this. Go to the sources and check them out because one of the things that kind of pissed me off in the Wikipedia page is they talk about that the when the disorder is most commonly found in women with slightly above average IQs who are isolated their fa- in their families and are in relationships with a dominant person who has delusions. Yes, but that's pro- that's a few cases that we know of because this is something that although it's in the DSM, it's not statistically validated across cultures around the world. We want to have cultural considerations because your your culture of origin may very well 
affect your belief system right. about spirits and demons and, and various phenomenon. But this felt very sexist for this to be saying. It sure. felt very misogynistic and making a generalization. And I couldn't find the actual research that backed that up. I was like looking through the through the um, edits. Yeah, I mean, that could go down a bunch of different ways, even just which cultures are given IQ tests and how those are normed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we'll throw that one out. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, Let's see what our... Now, what we did get as far as stats, which I think is interesting, is 55% of secondary cases had a relative with a psychological disorder that included delusions. So that meant even though the in, that secondary individual or the beta or the subordinate did not have active delusions at the time, they had been exposed to it before. So it's almost like there was a primer. Oh, interesting. Uh, which that's fascinating. And then like uh, like a, a group that goes beyond Folia do, but one particular example that relates to an earlier episode we did about cults is the Heaven's Gate group. I mean, sure. Heaven's Gate, that is clearly a shared delusion. And Marshall Applewhite, yeah, Applewhite yeah. and... Uh, this female companion that I'm blanking on, Doe. It was Doe and anyway, when they were Doe and Ray, they kept changing their names. Right. But that was clearly they had a folie ado amongst themselves that then completely developed into a mass delusion mm-hmm. that led to a mass suicide. Just very, very sad. So um, that's kind of the the basic. There are cultural considerations. Once again, we want to go back to what what causes it and really the common thread through all the research is social isolation and in fact kind of jumping a little bit ahead when we're not going to talk too much about treatment but one of the things that is said about treatment is that you separate the individuals and what will happen is that the subordinate or the beta will generally generally return to baseline functioning. Right. They'll recover and very quickly. They will recover quickly. They will be, begin to gain insight into the influence that the inducer or primary had on them. However, there are cases that we got them separated. They're doing okay. They come back together. Boom. It's right, right. back to where it was. So... I find that fascinating. I mean, that's oh, it sure. it's really talks to the nature of relationships and the need for intimacy, no matter how toxic it is. True. So that's uh, the main factors. Okay. We wanted to get into some really great examples. I yeah. mean, there are fantastic examples in real-life cases that you're going to talk about. And then you and I both have like two to three really favorite um, cinematic portrayals of it. Yes. So I'm going to talk about the Erickson twins. Um, this is a fascinating case from 2008. When, and we talked about um, close family relationships or close attachments, and these are identical twins that we're talking about. And How old were they? Mid-30s? Uh, mid-30s. Gorgeous. Well, once I saw more footage, I was like, oh, mm, they maybe weren't? not so. Because I, because you know, <laughs> well, and you, you and I at different times both saw the yeah. films. Yeah. Because they use them in a lot of trainings about severe mental illness because they're jarring. It, the, yeah, the footage is is just. I just remember a lot of blonde hair. Lots and, of blonde and, hair. And I mean, you th- hear Swedish twins, and I mean, 
what's the halo effect that's going to happen there, <laughs> okay. right? I'm not even going to go. I'm um, not going to go with that. But, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so one uh, Ursula, she actually was living in the United States, and Sabina was living in Ireland, and she was married, and she had a couple of kids, and Ursula goes to visit Sabina, and within. And so they're in England, right? They're in Ireland. She goes to visit Sabina in Ireland. And within a couple days, they take off to England. Okay. Just the two of them. Um, They go to a police station at one point and say that they're worried about Sabina's children. I don't have any more information on that, what they were worried about. Um, But then they leave and they end up on a bus that's going from Liverpool to London. So they're on this bus and the bus driver says they're acting really strangely. They won't check their bags. They're holding onto them really tight, almost like holding backpacks backwards on their chest. Um, Sort of, I don't know if they're baseball caps or kind of visors pulled down low, a lot of whispering back and forth, not interacting with anyone else. That's, just, that's not suspicious no, at all. No, not at all. Um, so this, it, the bus makes a stop at a rest stop, and essentially the bus driver says, I'm not letting them back on. You know, I don't know what they have in there, if they have bombs or whatever. So he, he notifies a woman that works at the stop that they're at. She, the bus takes off. She observes them for a little bit and she says same thing they're kind of huddled together looks like they're sort of making a plan looking around for the bus and by the way this is right on an incredibly busy freeway but a freeway in england that to me the difference between looking at a freeway in this example versus what you'd see in the u.s is there's very little room between the traffic and the turnoff. Like, they are right. very close right. to heavy traffic that's oh, going yeah. a so major, fast. major, major highway. So she, this woman that works at the bus stop, she actually ends up calling police and because they're, like, sneaking around the back of the building and she's just getting real creepy vibes. So she calls the police. The police come out. Um, they actually, like, check their bags to make sure there's no bombs or anything like that. And give them information about the next bus that's going to London and sort of send them on their way. So here they've had a couple different police contacts. Um, And then all of a sudden CCTV picks up footage of them trying to run across this major highway. Well, there happened... I mean, it's the weirdest synchronicity. There happened to be well, a film crew there, right? Yeah. Hang on. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. I apologize. <laughs> so so CCTV shows them dart across a few lanes of highway. They're getting, like, clipped. And then the police obviously get called out because of that. I mean, people... Traffic is weaving and swerving, and people are about to crash because of these women. And... There's a TV show over in England called Motorway Cops, and it's like our version of Cops, where it's like reality television. And they're in a car with like the second responding unit. So from here on out, what I'm describing is all is all videoed. It's there's all footage of this and you can get it on YouTube. So this unit um, shows up. The primary unit is on the side of the road, has both women there talking to them. Uh, Sabina is standing there smoking a cigarette. Looks, you know, they both look super calm. And 
you know, just like in cops, you know how the the cop that's being filmed gets there, and then the other units always come over and fill them in on what's going on because right. you have to for the camera, right? So that's happening. the The supervisor comes over and says, "Hey, yeah, you know, we responded to these two women running across the road. I mean, we, you know, we don't know what we're going to do." And all of a sudden, you see in the background one of them takes off. Oh my god! And runs into traffic, and the officer that's standing with them. I mean, it, this is like in a split second. He tries to grab her, and he grabs onto her jacket, and she just like slips her arms out of it. First lane into the highway, and she gets nailed by a truck. And it just the the officer that's with the camera crew, you just hear him saying, "Oh no, oh no!" It's just it's horrific. It's 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 horrific. And as quickly as they turn their attention to her to go help her and render aid, the other one darts off into the highway and gets nailed by a car. So there's, you know, they're full on have these two possible casualties happening. They're trying to tend to them. The first sister, which is Ursula that ran out first, her legs are so badly crushed that she's just on the ground. The other one, they, she was unconscious for a while, regains consciousness and starts yelling at the police saying, I know you're not real. I know you're going to try and steal organs. And there's a lot of like looking back at the camera crew saying, call the police, call the police. And they're telling her, we are the police. We are. And she's like, no, I know who you really are. And gets up again. The one, one female officer is sort of left with her as her partner goes off. And I don't know, you know, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy chaotic scene. Plus, you have all this traffic. And Sabina gets up. She has lost consciousness and then gets up and starts walking away. And the female officer is saying, no, you need to stay here. You need to stay here. And she shoves her so hard. And this is a pretty pretty decent-sized female officer. Knocks her straight to the ground. Jumps over the center divider into the other side of traffic. And now they're running after her on this side. And the male officer takes off after her. And she's taking a fighting stance. Like, she's going to fight him. And some good Samaritans stop. Basically, it takes six people to restrain the one, Sabina. And she is like, fuck you the whole time. Get off of me. You're not real police. Um, Just super nasty. They finally, and they're thinking at the time, you know, God, she's she's had a head a head injury from being hit by a car, and she's completely delusional now because she's the one. Like you can't believe it. She's been hit so hard. She's laying there unconscious. You look at the windshield of this car that hit her, and you're like, I know. I remember seeing it the first time when we're in, like in a dark room, like with a you know a bunch of other people, and I'm Just, like, oh, what? like what? yeah, no, no, she's doing it again, like ragdolls being tossed around. Unbelievable! It's nuts. She jumps up and then shoves that woman, and then you know, ju- I think they're like concrete dividers or yeah, something, like and the she jumps divider. over it. Oh my god! I mean, and the female officers just saying her strength was incredible. Like she's the, she's only dealt with that with people under the influence of drugs. Um, so, I mean, it's just super interesting. Um, so Ursula, the one with the crushed legs, she ends up going to the hospital. Um, she's there, I don't know, for like three months. But they do toxicology on her, nothing in her system. Um, Sabina goes to the hospital initially, then she gets released into police custody. So there's a BBC documentary called Madness 
Madness in the Fast Lane, which actually has more footage oh, than Jesus. you can get on YouTube from this TV crew that was like, oh, shit, we're sticking with this story. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we got to see this through. So they they take her into custody. She's sitting in the back seat as now she's going to go be processed at the police department. And, I mean, she's acting fine. I mean, she's in the back seat. There's two cops in the front, and then there's a camera crew person in the back. Kind of talking a little weird. Wait, in the seat with her, like in the back with her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is she cuffed? So, um, no, she's not cuffed. Jeez, so enough to where they're, she's calm, she's, um, they feel comfortable enough having her uncuffed and just said that she was kind of, you know, a nice girl after that. So the footage takes you through basically her being processed at the police department. And her affect is... It, very jovial. She's laughing, thumbs up at the camera, a little flirty with the male cops that are tending to her. Um, doesn't ask once about her sister. Doesn't seem concerned with the charges that are being filed against her. Obviously, assault on a peace officer at this point. Um, but just cares about what she's going to wear and what her, what her hair looks like. So it, it's really interesting they talked about you know they had to sedate her at some point out on the highway and did that sort of calm her down and then everyone else's um, guard was let down a little bit because this is not even the scariest part of this whole thing no it gets worse it gets (laughs) gets way worse Um, but what's so interesting is is when they're booking her at the police department she tells the cops she goes you know in Sweden we rarely say we say that rarely one accident comes alone Usually there's at least one more to follow, perhaps two. And you just hear that. And in hindsight, it's really eerie Yeah. because it, it might give you a window into, is she planning something else? Is she warning them that, like, I am not done? Um, but she goes to court almost immediately, pleads guilty, and then she gets released. <laughs> While she was in the jail, um, the police agency says she's seen by, they say at a surgeon, so some sort of medical doctor, um, a psychiatrist, and a social worker, and all of them said she was fit to be released at this point. So she gets released. She's out wandering the streets, wherever this local police department is, and there's two men that are walking home from their local pub and they see her out on the street and go over and talk to her. You know, she's got all of her belongings in a plastic bag and kind of looks disoriented a little bit, but go and talk to her. And she seems normal enough. She's like, my sister was in the hospital. I'm trying to find her. I don't know where I'm at. And this man who's just, everyone says is a really nice guy says, Hey, why don't you come back to my place? Um, we'll help you figure out local hospitals. My brother works at a hospital. We can find where your sister is. I'll get you something to eat. And she ends up going back to this man's house. The two, two men and her go back to the house. Do we know the age on that guy? He's like 54. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm all specific. He's like 54. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. (laughs) So they're sitting around um, just kind of shooting the shit and drinking a little bit more. And every time they ask her about her sister, she gets real quiet. And then she starts displaying some paranoid behaviors, like going over and closing the curtains by the window, and then she'll rip them back real quick and look out. And the younger guy that was there, whose home it wasn't, he's like, 
I'm not feeling good about this. I'm out of here. Yeah. So at, at one point, I guess she offers them cigarettes and from the pack that she's been smoking. And as he goes to take it, she grabs it out of his hand and says, what if those are poison? And he's like, all right, I've seen enough. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. So he goes home. She apparently spends the night. Um, the the man whose house she's staying at, he calls his brother the next day, right like around lunchtime. Um, and his brother works in a hospital, so he's trying to get some information. Like, hey, this woman was hit on the M6 highway. Have you heard of her being, you know, brought into any local hospitals? And that's that's the last family member to talk to the victim. Um, he then goes out and talks to a neighbor who's like washing his car. He just gave it away. <gasps> he called him a victim. I know. Dun, um, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the neighbor talks to him real quick. I think he says he's going to like make him, him making some tea. Do you want some tea? And a few minutes later, the neighbor turns around and the man is stumbling out of his home. And he says, she stabbed me. She stabbed me. Call the police. And I'm dying. And so the neighbor calls up the police. The victim says, take care of my dog and dies right there oh. in his yard. CCTV catches Sabina running from the home um, in the other direction, and she is running down the street with a hammer in her hand. And at some point, a passerby sees her, sees her covered in blood, and she's beating herself in the head with this hammer. And he's like a young guy. He's probably a teenager at the time. He pulls over and starts wrestling her for this hammer and says that she is grunting and growling the entire time. And then he gets whacked in the back of the head. He thought that she had punched him, but she had a roofing tile in her back pocket and hit him with that. And then at the moment, like he's got his bell rung, he sees ambulance and police pulling up and just leaves it to them, essentially. So cops show up. She takes off running and jumps off of a bridge four stories down onto a highway and doesn't die. She's, of course, broken bones and gets caught at that point. What if she had done, like, the superhero landing like Black Widow does in the adventures? Oh, my God. At this point, it's like, what is she made of? Like... Yeah, I mean, it's that, especially that, how frightening the strength. I mean, well, I mean, uh, there's a lot frightening about it, but. Yeah, there's a lot. So she, she's caught. She, every interview that any detective tried to do with her, she just said no comment. She never gave her side of the story of what happened. Um, The judge in the case said it was one of the most difficult that he's ever dealt with, with what to do. Um, so the, she was seen by two forensic psychiatrists, one from the defense and one from the prosecution during her trial. The defense, their diagnosis was induced delusional disorder, essentially folia de, um, and then the prosecution said it was acute polymorphic psychotic disorder. So I've never heard that one before. Um, Is that a British they, one? They explained it as they had a, a forensic, a leading forensic psychiatrist in the country talk about these diagnoses. He said that there is also a French term for that, and I'm not even going to try. Um, but he said it means a puff of madness. So it's a very transient psychotic disorder that comes up very quickly and for a very short time. So he said it could be like two to three weeks. Well, that's a, that's certainly an interesting diagnosis, but like it, it really seems like there was something going on 
for and was Sabine the inducer? Sabina the inducer? I don't know because um, I mean I would say so. I mean, isn't this fascinating? But this she's is, the one we're getting the most information on, right? And I mean, this is fascinating to me because of all examples of true severe psychosis and mental illness that we could have. We have film of the. I mean, we have like video of this. I mean, we right. can see this one. We can see her being interviewed, and yet because she won't cooperate like what we're missing we're we don't have what we usually have which is the diagnosis but we do have everything leading up to it so yeah, I you just don't want, have a full clinical interview yeah but it just it feels really weird to think that this could be a puff of madness i love i love the idea of that because sure. i think that fits a lot of other particular crimes that right. that i could give examples of but it doesn't seem to fit here yeah i, I it, this, i'm just going off of you know what these psychiatrists had um Diagnosed, and then what their commentary was in this BBC documentary. Um, but he points out that both of these are very rare. You know that both either could be um, plausible. I think the defense was saying that she was not the primary. So that's why it was induced delusional disorder. Oh, okay. So it makes sense to me. The defense is trying to mitigate even more so. Ah, um, okay. That maybe the sister was the one that. Um, Ursula was the primary. I don't know. Um, but when you have two, I guess you can blame it on the one that's not being charged with something. And that would be a pretty decent defense. Um, so she gets five years in prison for murder. Jeez. I know. And 2011, she's released and she's living back with her family in Ireland. Ursula was in the mental hospital after she was in the um medical hospital. She was in a mental hospital for about three months as well. And then she moved back to Sweden. So the Erickson sisters, um, crazy, crazy video footage. Yeah, folks. It's a trigger warning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's shocking. I mean, at least you, we've kind of given you a a preparation for it. I certainly there's no blood. There's no like bone sticking out. You know, it's just. It, it, but the it's impact. Even, it is. It's the it's, impact of those cars, and they like you were saying, getting clipped. It's like oh, clip, clip, and then boom, right. and body flying. It's like what just happened? And then happened? they're just taking off running again. Yeah. It's. I don't run for anything. I can't imagine after I've been hit by a car. <laughs> and, you know, giving that example, that's fascinating to me because it encompasses something else, which is, oh God, what the, is the name? Uh, Capgrass syndrome. What's so cap, cap Capgrass syndrome is usually neurologically induced. It's like it's usually uh, some kind of like pressure on... Uh, on nerves by a tumor or like a, a severe imbalance in neurochemicals that causes you to believe that the people that you know are not, they're imposters. Oh, so it's wow. basically like in, uh, like an imposter syndrome. So parents, like we've, we've seen it happen um, in heavy meth users that suddenly become convinced that their children's, ha- their chil- children's, <laughs> their children have been re- replaced by doubles. Um, and hmm. I mean that's a whole other thing on itself, but like the idea that she's like you're not you're not the police you're not right. the real police right that's interesting yeah mm-hmm. I, I it it would have been so great to get her story even if it's just of the delusion because I'm like what is the storyline here what is the delusion that they're all of a sudden, you know, someone's going to steal our organs and we need to leave to London it, it, uh, maybe it, it was some kind of like organ harvesting 
conspiracy theory that got out of hand and well and and to have they only touched on it really lightly but basically they're saying that sabina's husband gave no indication of any mental illness prior to this and i'm thinking well maybe ursula was the primary if she comes to visit and then all of a sudden and they're in it together i don't know i don't know that's very strange there's so there's i need more information (laughs) yeah i want more information too and i couldn't find any other than than what you found right and now a word from our sponsors that is that I feel definitely fits the criteria. Um, just to give some background uh, for those of you who have heard of Slenderman, Slenderman is a, a very interesting phenomenon based on a website called Creepypasta. Creepypasta is a portmanteau of cut and paste, but it was, a, I think it's a really fantastic idea, and I've actually read. And seen things produced from ideas that were developed on creepypasta, which are just wonderful in the in the horror uh, genre. So, the idea behind creepypasta is that I mean, you can post your own uh, horror stories that you you know um, developing writers and wannabe writers can post their own writings. However, one of the things that I think is is really fascinating is sort of this group think process of creating ideas. And the idea behind it is, hey, you're going to post about an experience, quote unquote, that you had and give as much detail, but you talk about it in the first person as if it's real. And the only response on the message boards can be either people asking questions about it or they can say, that happened to me and this. So you basically are building a mythos mm-hmm. or mythos around this story. It's a, it's, a, it's a group collaboration. So Slenderman basically was the idea that there was this being, this malevolent being that lives in the woods and he's very, very tall. I think we're talking about like 12, 13 feet tall, very, very skinny, wearing a suit with like a, a bald, featureless white face and long skeletal hands. Jack Skellington, a Jack, man. Well, it's all, yeah, it is. It's almost like Jack Skellington or... Sounds so nice and friendly. He's really nice. It's Halloween time. Yes. Um, but what was the other... Or the example I always thought of was that incredible episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Hush. And it was an episode about these monsters called the Gentleman. And the entire episode is done without any sound because the gentlemen are these demons that steal sound. Ooh, it's a, that's creepy. Have you never seen it? No. I'm, it was nominated. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing episode, and the monsters are so creepy. The and they look to me what Slenderman would look like, except they're just regular size. They're not mm-hmm. super tall. Mm-hmm. So I digress. Um, some of the elements of the mythos is that you. For those people that become, oh, God, what's the word that they use? It was the weirdest choice for word, not asset or adjunct or acolyte, but something like a follower of Slenderman. If you become one of his followers, truly worshiping him and giving him his due, then you get to live in his sort of other dimensional, otherworldly home in the forest. So, excuse me. Um, Which is Halloween Town. Okay, you're just really, (laughs) you're really on a roll. Sorry, it's fall. 
I know you're all it's ready for Halloween. you're ready, all ready for pumpkin spice, aren't you? You, oh, basic, you, know me. you basic girl. <laughs> That's very so, nice. So that. one of the saddest uh, crimes that has come out of this because it involves children is uh, two young women, uh, Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire, uh, both twelve years old, schoolmates, and really fit what we were talking about earlier as like the setup for this type of phenomenon. These were isolated young women. They began a friendship and Geyser, who was diagnosed with schizophrenia, I don't know if it was an actual, I mean, you know, you go to a different psychiatrist, you're going to get a different diagnosis, but clearly this young woman at this early age was on the psychotic spectrum. She was already exhibiting sort of bizarre behaviors and sort of altered perspective on things. Her parents had kind of noticed it. But, but she wasn't diagnosed prior to the crime? Or? No. Yeah. Okay. No, not that, I, not that I know of. Um, Which is so, rare for a child that young to yeah, be diagnosed. Yeah, you really wouldn't, you wouldn't look for that. You would look for almost anything else because, you know, like we were saying in other episodes, psychosis and severe mood disorders like bipolar really are kind of set off by adolescence right. and by the that flood of hormones in the body and stress you know which is can be the same thing so these two girls come together and they be you know they just really immerse themselves in this world of Slenderman. Slenderman. And Geyser, who is driving this, goes even further beyond some of the elements that were online. And what they do is they come up with this plan that they are going to become, you know, his acolytes in the forest and live in this mansion with, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's so twisted and bizarre. Like for two 12 year olds, like we're going to go live in a dank, scary forest in a scary castle with a monster. With a scary like, that's man. what we're, right. that's what we're shooting Was for. Was there something promised like that, you know, freaking candy and video games all day or like, I think it was, I no, wonder. there was none of that. It was more that you become his regent or you become, you share some of his otherworldly power. It's just like an honor to be right. Right. Okay. So there wasn't really, I didn't really get the sense that there was anything material, at least in, in the research that I was reading, but the way that they prove their allegiance to him is by sacrificing another life. So they lure a third young woman who was their age and a schoolmate into the forest, and they basically just go to town on her and stab her. And I this mean, is after they had all had like a slumber party, yeah, and had a great time, yeah. And I think they were actually planning on doing it during the night, but had such a good time at this, you know, t- slumber party like twelve-year-olds do. Yeah, that it ends up happening the next day, right? And it's also bizarre. There's there's indications and there's conflicting indications in what I was able to read. One was that they lured her into the forest and then stabbed her. But then another story says that they stabbed her in a park and walked her into the forest. So I don't know if they so dragged her. I My understanding is that they started the attack sort of at the edge of the forest. Okay. Like where the park meets the wooded area. And then... She is sort of stumbling at the first attack after the stabbing, and they take her deeper in. And then I think that's when the secondary holds her down. Okay. And 
they kind of go to town a little bit more and then leave her. Like they go off into the forest to go find Slenderman. Right. They're, they're convinced that she's dead. Right. Um, and she even, I believe, plays possum a little bit. So they go off and they're like, okay, we've done what we need to do. And Slenderman is going to be waiting for us with open arms. And the young woman is able to crawl out of the forest back to a jogging trail that circles the park. And it's a very isolated jogging trail, very little used. And it happened to be just that one day there was a regular runner who took a different route. He wow. never took that route. Oh my gosh. And he was able to, he found her, didn't re, had was completely shocked, didn't know what he was coming upon, but he found her just at the right time to be able to contact medical help and 911 and, and, and saved this woman, basically. Um, they also felt like one of the motivators, apparently, was that they felt like they had to prove that Slender Man existed. And there's sort of research that indicates that, like, they were starting, you know, Geyser was already exhibiting sort of, she was a misfit. The other young woman was a misfit as well. But the two of them together draw, drew even more sort of um, teasing. Mm-hmm. Or even more isolation, like mm-hmm. oh, the, now the two weirdos are together. Yeah. So in order, they felt they were. This kind of drove them to feel like they needed to prove themselves. Mm. So uh, the cyclist. Oh, it wasn't a runner. It was a cyclist. It was a, on a bicycle, and he was able to get her medical help. She survived. She came back. That's great. But what's interesting is due to the mitigating factors of the young girl's age. And the severity of mental illness, they were both found not guilty by reason of insanity, which is so rare. Like we talk about that. Nick and Jessa talk about that. I mean, that is just. But in this case, it really feels absolutely correct. And I would bet that Geyser, you know, Geyser probably has a long a long road ahead of her in institutions or in residential treatment. And I would think that her subordinate would probably maybe be able to return to baseline. I would hope so. So essentially the, she has, she's diagnosed with schizophrenia. And as we've talked about before, one of the hallmarks can be delusions. Right. And so Slenderman filled that narrative filled her, that criteria of a delusion yeah, with her I diagnosis. Mean, I would think so. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of that empty vessel model. I mean, here's mm-hmm. an isolated young woman. Maybe her parents didn't understand the extent of her mental illness. I mean, kids are weird. You know, I'm kids sure. are, are, are strange. And maybe you don't um, recognize some of the more odd antisocial behaviors. And I don't mean antisocial in terms of isolation, a, of ASPD, but just oh, not, you know, gotcha. just not being able to not having great interpersonal skills. Oh, okay. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, another great reason for really paying attention for what your kids are watching um, on the computer or reading on the computer. And was there any um, evaluation that said that some mental health professionals said they thought this was a case of folia de, like it wasn't just the, that the subordinate was going along because she felt like no, this one's know, pretty I mean, clear because they, yeah, they followed up because both of them got. Um, Geyser got 40 years right. in a mental institution, and her partner got 25. Oh, okay. I think that those okay. are. I, I think that later on they got like, especially subordinate got. Um, I keep calling her subordinate, and I, I shouldn't. <laughs> um, uh, and Anissa Wire, I believe Anissa actually, you know, 
her sentence got cut shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, mm-hmm. I think it will be very interesting in the future to see what happens if either of them ever comes forward to be able to talk about this right. incident. I mean, I think that would be very interesting. Um, so, you know, if guys, if you're interested in this, this is just sort of a, a little bit of a break between what we uh, the examples we're going to give next. Um, there's some really great stuff online. Like I was saying, a, a lot of times Wikipedia is a great place to start, but don't please don't ever think that that's the end all be all. Because in fact, go down to the bibliography and the footnotes at the bottom and click on some of the links and you'll find actually even more interesting information that's actual stats and research on what the phenomenon is that we're talking about. Now, the other side of that is, you know, media, multimedia, social media has to generate content. And I am the biggest consumer of that stuff. I love listicles. I love listverse. I <laughs> ranker. love ranker. Um, I love them because they're bite-sized pieces of things to read, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're always ac- accurate. So the reason I say that is because uh, in March of 2018 on list first um you know they did a top 10 list and i'm gonna write the name of the author oh where is she i put it on here anyway so the I name have it. We'll you have it resources yeah we'll have in the resources um but i want to give her credit too because i think it's really an interesting her name is christy heather um, March 26, 2018 was when this is posted on Listverse. I feel like a lot of podcasts are given a lot of credit lately. I think they are, too. <laughs> okay. I hope that we are being careful about that. Um, and rightly so. Rightly of so. Course. But I think it's also interesting to do it not just for journalistic integrity. The other side of it is is that, you know, and maybe we'll talk about this in the, in the future of a couple of podcasters that have really come under fire recently. But the other part of it is, is that journalism has changed radically in that a lot of people are not being held to a higher standard of discretion in posting their sources, even though they're calling themselves journalists. They're sure. making a lot of assumptions and generalizations. Um, Christy Heather does, did a great top 10 list in, in the, under the title of Weird Stuff, which is totally a lot of fun. However, you know, the 10 examples she gives are not, um, they don't necessarily all fit the criteria. Sure. One of the ones they talk about, which is really a very famous crime case, is Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Alfred Hitchcock based the movie Rope on oh, this. Right. It's a great movie. It's a it's an incredible case. It's not folly a do. Yeah, these, just because two you have bo- two people committing crimes together doesn't mean it's folly a do. Well, <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that they believed, which was actually true, I think the reason she probably thinks that this fits delusional disorder is they felt that they were sort of oh god who was it that wrote uh, was it Tol- was it Tolstoy or no it's the other Russian author that wrote the idea of Superman of the of the Superman the person that is so intelligent I don't know well it's it's so it's a it's a trope that this that there are some men that are so intelligent that they basically float above the rest of men in the population and therefore because of their intelligence, they really have the right to do anything, including killing people. And that is actually what Leopold and Loeb thought. And one of them was a more dominant personality. But the idea, they thought that, well, we can just kill someone. 
right. tell someone and we can get away with it. And we're so fucking smart. We're going to taunt the police. And they were not that smart. They were not that smart. Oh, my God. It's a really left, interesting case. They left the dumbest amount of evidence everywhere. Right. And so, anyway, this is just an example of... Two dumbasses. Two dumbasses. Don't be... You Not know. a delusion. Now, where uh, Christy gets it really good is a wonderful example of Christine and Leah Pepin. Mm-hmm. They were French sisters. They worked mm-hmm. as housemaids. And they came from really horrific backgrounds of abuse and trauma. Right. Um, sexual abuse, uh, substance abuse, and these two socially isolated young women that were working together as uh, housekeepers... Uh, you know, develop some sort of really severe folia do. And, you know, who, we don't really know the nature of their beliefs, but it was very clear that something was happening between the two of them and they, you know, they right. murdered uh, a family. Yeah, very gruesomely. Um, and when they were separated, it was interesting. One of them came more into baseline and the other one just completely decompensated. And that was, uh, Christine. Christine became really intensely distressed. Um, Didn't she starve herself to death? Yeah. Because she went on hunger strike a bunch of times right. to try and get them to let her see her sister. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, those are some examples. Uh, you know, list first. Good beginning job. Uh, but, you know, not everything meets that criteria. So be careful what you Okay. Uh, you consume on the internet. Yes. Um, so now moving to you and I have like a couple of like big favorites mm-hmm. about this. I already talked about heavenly creatures so that I love it, but I'm yeah. going to talk more about it, but I want you to talk about the one that we both love. I don't know. I, I've been trying to think of a way to work in X files <laughs> into our <laughs> podcast because I'm, I'm a huge X files nerd. And the second you said we were doing this, I was like, Oh, I think there's an episode. Um, so season five, episode 19 is called folly. Um, it was written by Vince Gilligan yeah. from breaking bad. Everyone would know him from breaking bad. Um, and it opens with an employee at a telemarketing service, which is already, you know, very intense, super annoying workspace, cubicles and terrible fluorescent, fluorescent lights. I remember and the way they lit it was just awful. It's awful. And then the, the um, supervisor that's walking around is telling everyone, dial and smile. Dial and smile. So it's got this super annoying little theme that sticks with you, too. Um, but he starts having these hallucinations of seeing the big boss in his office sort of behind frosted glass turning into like a bug creature, bug man. And then he will call people into his office and they come out as zombies. But like this man is seeing the hallucination of their faces, you know, green, their eyes glazed over, and then all of a sudden they look normal and they're talking to him again. But, you know, it, it kind of fits with this, like, telemarketing, you want a bunch of zombies working there and exactly. just doing the job. Um, so it's super creepy, and he's getting more and more paranoid and ends up... Um, writing a letter, I believe, to the business, sort of warning that, you know, they need to look at this boss because otherwise he's going to take matters into his own hands. So what happens is they contact Mulder and Scully to do a threat assessment 
on the business and the employee to see, you know, if it's if it's an employee and what sort of risk there is there. And of course, Mulder's like, well, why isn't the local Chicago office doing it? Why are you calling us? Is there like a boogeyman involved? And um, they're like, okay, well, there, there's some themes in the letter that's a, a little kooky. So yeah, we're sending you guys. Well, Mulder says, I'll just take care of this myself and I'll go down there. So he goes down by himself, walks in to start interviewing people, and that happens to be the same day that this employee takes everyone hostage. So he has stocked up his guns and his ammo, and he has now taken everyone hostage because no one believes him about this boss being a bug man and turning employees into zombies. And Mulder gets taken hostage as well. So now there's this whole crisis situation and the SWAT team shows up and Scully rolls down there and um, basically, like in the middle of the episode, you know, you think this is going to sort of go through the the end of the episode, but like right in the middle of the episode, the, the hostage taker is about to shoot and kill the bug man to prove it to everyone and Mulder steps in between them and you know tells him not to do it and the lights go out because the SWAT team has now killed the electricity and they're about to make entry the lights go out Mulder turns around and sees the bug man too for a moment and then the SWAT team comes in and kills the hostage taker so you have your main villain taken out well not main villain but what you think is the main villain taken out right then and there. But Mulder is like, I saw it. I saw the antenna. I saw, you know, this man size bug standing behind me. And then he turned back into a man. And of course, you know, Agent Skinner is having none of this. And they put Mulder in a mental institution. So an Agent Skinner, by the way, has just been one of those people I've been hot for, like, forever. Mitch Pileggi, hottest guy love, ever. Love, Still love. looks great. Like, right. Even like, as the white supremacist leader in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great... Apparently, he and... He and... Who was it? Oh, uh, the actor that played Crycheck. Remember the hot, hot bad guy? Canadian actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas yeah. Rogue? Something like that? Something Nicholas, like that. Something like that. Apparently, the two of them were, like, really good friends. Like, became oh, really? really good friends on set and would, like, annoy people by by singing show tunes off-key. Oh, my God. Just to fuck with people. There has to be video footage Oh, my of God. Somewhere. I would love to find that. Yeah, Mitch Pileggi is, like, the ultimate him. DILF, basically. Totally, totally, totally. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I anyway. can't believe I said DILF on our podcast. <laughs> Right, so that's a great one because so, the, but part of the integral part of what you're using as an example is that he started sympathizing. Right. So with right away, Scully's like, well, there's this term. And he's like, oh, I know, folly ado. You know, <laughs> no, it's really a, a bug man. Um, and it turns out, like, of course, the, he's strapped down in this mental hospital on the bug man crawls into his window is about to attack him and Scully busts in and shoots at something on the ceiling and it runs out the window and um, you never really know what happens. So So that's the sci-fi version. It is. I mean, it's it's fun and it's done really well, but um, 
yeah, I mean, sympathizing with the captor, I don't know, maybe a little Stockholm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's related. Stockholm so did. I had two other ones that I think are really great. One is completely fictional, and it's written by this unbelievably prolific and talented writer named Tracy Letts. Tracy Letts is also sometimes an actor. He's a great actor, and you would... You know, you wouldn't recognize him because he's not a big star, but everything he does is is great. And he's been a playwright. He's been a screenwriter. For those of you that are into intense gothic drama, gothic family drama, he wrote a play called August Osage County that oh, was made yeah. into a movie with Meryl Streep that is, and Julia Roberts that is some of the best acting you'll ever see and just an incredibly sad, sad movie about, like just a messed up family. Like I was like, well, my family's fine compared (laughs) to these people. I feel a lot better. But anyway, I digress again. Back in 2006, he wrote a great uh, small budget movie called Bug, and it actually did really well in the theaters. But there was another movie that was released at the same time, so it didn't get a lot of the the same critical nods. Um, The cast was kind of unknown. It was Michael Shannon's, one of his first things. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ashley Judd, right? And Ashley Judd. Uh, It's such a great story. Basically... If you get a chance, watch it. You can stream it. Um, Lonely cocktail waitress working in a gay bar, which that to me is like a straight cocktail waitress in 2006 working in a gay bar. I don't get it. But it's a rural area or rural-ish area. She is lonely. She meets, you know, a rugged kind of twitchy soldier and starts a relationship with him. He's sort of traveling, and she's staying in a local hotel. And then as they spend time together, he shares with her. A, a one, one odd thing happens. Like the night before she meets him, her phone rings, and it's dead. And it rings. I think it happens twice, where it's like there's somebody calling her, but there's nothing, nobody on the other line. So she shares that with him as they get to know each other, and he uses that as like, well, that's that's you being tracked because they knew, I guess they knew I was going to meet you at some point. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I haven't seen it in a few years. But so they, she kind of, uh, yeah, you're maybe, I don't know, you're a little crazy. But they still hang out together. Um, and he said that he is the you know that he was in the army he's a veteran and that he had been experimented on by the US government with these parasites that they put in your body and that they use to track you and they control you they can control you with these things and at first he's so trying they to bugged sh- him with a bug they bugged him with bugs and at first she can't see them you know she's like very wary of what's going on And over time, like, and there's other things that happen, like her best friend tries to say, hey, you got to get out of this. This guy's completely weird. And it it progressively gets stranger and stranger. Like, he starts altering the motel room and lining it with, I think, with aluminum foil and flypaper. You know, so these things that were flying around the bugs were going to be caught in the flypaper. And, um, it, you know, it just gets creepier and creepier and creepier. The light changes and he's scrubbing his skin and he's picking at his skin. And you are kind of on her journey as she starts to believe it as well. And then at one point he even turns to her and he says, 
they're in you now. They're they're in, they're oh. in both of us. Does she ever? Do they ever portray that she sees them? Yes, as well. Okay. They do. They do. And at one point, even this is like the strength of the delusion is that a character shows up who basically says, "Hey, this guy escaped from the mental institution. I'm the psychologist." Which I mean, God You're forbid, not showing up God forbid any of us go like we're going to go drive like right. like you know Donald Pleasance does in Halloween or right, when Michael exactly. Myers escapes. So uh, and uh, Michael Shannon turns and shoots him, and so he kills him because he's a robot from the government. Uh, so that, interesting how that like that theme of robot really kind of sure. does seem to happen a lot in Psychosis and Capgrass and and Folia do. So. This the ending is just incredibly like you th- you think you know what's going to happen, but you don't realize it's going to take this turn. They end up dousing themselves in gasoline and setting themselves on fire, Ugh. which is just like. Ugh. But then they do something at the end. Uh, there's a shot that does leave it that kind of challenges you inside, sort of in the same way that like, I mean, yeah, X Files was a big challenge, sure. you know. Uh, What's the inception leaves you at the end like, wait, what did I just see? Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit of that at the end. I really highly recommend it. Ashley Judd is amazing in it. It's kind of, well, we now know why she didn't become a big star. Well, Ashley Judd was definitely on the way to becoming a huge star and fucking Harvey Weinstein right. you know, blocked her because she didn't. I think she's a pretty big star still. So. She is. I mean, she's, yeah, she's done pretty well. Um, but my favorite of all, my favorite of all for this subject is uh, a movie that's based on a true story, a fictionalized version of a true story called Heavenly Creatures. I love it because it's by Peter Jackson, who is an amazing filmmaker. This was before he got really big. And I stumbled across this film years and years and years ago, and I became so obsessed with it. Even before, This was before I was in grad school. Did we talk about this film in another episode? We like, may, did super we? Super early on? I think we talked about like how much I loved it, because I like right. Melanie Linsky. I, I know. We were talking about it because I'd really love to talk to her. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been so long. It was 1994. She's she's probably like, why the hell would I want to talk to you about a movie I did a gazillion right, years ago? Right. You know, she was a teenager at the time. Yeah. And this movie is about two teenagers. It takes place in uh, Christchurch, uh, New Zealand, and it's about a very very isolated, awkward young woman uh, who is very has poor interpersonal skills. She's from sort of a solidly middle class maybe on the lower end a little bit and she has a new classmate that moves into town so Melanie Linsky who is a very attractive woman but she played a very kind of dumpy teenager and the teen her friend her newest friend that comes in is this very wealthy young woman who comes to school and is played by Kate Winslet and the minute you see Kate Winslet, you know she's fucking crazy. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Like, she walks, you know she's got some kind of, like, bipolar or mood, mood disorder because her she's got this just creepy, glazed look in her eye and uh-huh. crazy smile. And the two of them form a relationship very quickly that's based on both of them had trauma in their life. Both of them had hospitalizations and medical issues, so they bonded on... That sort of thing. Because remember, like, this is back in the 1950s, hospitalization was very different. You were, sure. you could be isolated from your family for months or years at a time. Right. right. So uh, they begin a relationship, and at first it's like they bond over movies, and they bond over, you know, 
girl stuff and school stuff. Um, their names are Pauline and Juliet. And one of them actually in the movie is a, quite a, a really talented little sculptress using what we call like Play-Doh, but that, and there it's called mm-hmm. plasticine. Mm-hmm. And of course, Peter Jackson, who's a very visual filmmaker, uses these these little uh, these little um, objects and people and animals that she makes out of the plasticine. They create a world, like a fantasy world, where they're both queens of this kingdom, and that there's this other world that exists. And at first, they know that it's a fantasy. And then there's another sort of more real. So there's a a bizarre delusion happening that they're sharing. And then there's a non-bizarre delusion where they convince themselves that they're going to be actresses and go to Hollywood. And they start building on it. Like it's it's all planned. It's all come together. And when it, none of it's come together. And there, there are lots of issues with their parents. But it gets worse and worse. They try and separate them. Uh, uh, Juliet gets to uh, actually gets diagnosed with tuberculosis and has to go to a hospital for a while. They're writing letters to each other that the parents find that they immediately assume that the girls are having a sexual relationship mm-hmm. when it really wasn't. It was more this like intense, intense, you know, uh, relationship really right at the cusp of becoming women. Right. You know, so there's a right. lot, there's, there's mental illness, but there's also, you know, the secondary sexual, sexual characteristics mm-hmm. are developing. Um, the parents again are completely alarmed. Uh, and they sort of, their delusion takes this focus on that one of the mothers is really responsible for keeping them apart. And that this is going to be the mom, the lower middle class mom. She's the one that is fucking up all their plans and is standing in front of their relationship. And so they lure her into a park and they beat her to death with a brick. Whoa. And all through the way that's visually represented is that you see the encroaching delusion as the plasticine figures actually come to life and they're integrated into the scenes and they're integrated into the girls' dreams and the way they they talk to each other. They would write these long, intense letters to each other as their alternate, as their queens, communicating with each other. And I think the name of the kingdom was Barovnia, Barovia. I mean, they just created this entire fantasy world. Now, what's interesting in this case is that they were tried as minors, separated, uh, and they grew up, changed their names, and they both, like one of them became a crime writer. Now, I'm not going to say their real names. Oh, these or, or, are real people? No, these are real people. Oh, I didn't know this yeah, yeah, this no, entire no, no. time. No, so, well, it's there's a controversy <laughs> because on. this was a huge crime that happened in the 50s in New Zealand. And so there's controversy over, like, what actually happened versus how it was presented in Peter Jackson's story. So I feel like you need to start over now that I know this. No, you just have to watch it. You just have to watch it. You just have to watch it. It's really, really good. Am I the only one? So, well, I mean, you can go to list first because list first gets it really good. Um, this one particularly, but the, the controversy is, is that when, uh, these women actually got out of prison and were kept apart, they changed their names and have had different lives and have gone on to, you know, have families and and prosper. And in attempts to, when all of it got unsealed, like, you know, 30 years later, they started getting approached by people, especially after the, the 1994 movie came out. 
and they're denying that there was fully a do it all. They are mm. denying. They're saying that, well, we came up with it because uh, Juliet was so suicidal. She was huh. suicidal because her mom was going to separate her, and the only way we could do we could keep her from committing suicide was to kill her mom. That may be true. I don't know. It's interesting to actually get people to talk about it years later. I mean, I don't know. You, you still don't know what is true and what isn't, or what their insight is into a delusion. Right, because but, delusions can be transitory. Sure. So, but how do you? I mean, I don't. And who knows what their investment is in it? Um, sure. But it's very interesting. I mean, you know, would the, would either one of them ever have committed a crime like that unless they had just been that perfect juxtaposition of really sort of toxic elements yeah. and, and overblown well, fantasy? I think we can say that about a lot of co-defendants or co-murderers. Is you know whether it's fantasy and something like that, or it's something like sexual fantasy, and you have um, you know these sexually driven murders happening with more than one person. I don't know. I mean, it. I, I kind of. I, I would need a really hard and set outline of the delusion that they're the primary person with the delusion needs to be really obvious to me right to not just start lumping people in this category where it's just you know psychopathy or you know right. someone the more yeah i mean uh, yes there's usually a more dominant um well, and clearly person. in this relationship the way it's portrayed in peter jackson's movie in heavenly creatures it's clear that one is yeah. is a dominant personality and i don't know if kate winslet chose if, if her research made her choose to play her character as mood disorders but there's clear mania there's clear mania but i don't know if that's actually what happened right we don't know if that's actually an element of what happened in yeah. the original crime um well, it, it it sort of leaves me like with Stockholm syndrome. Like we can't just start throwing this term on top of you know a bunch of other situations where some other concept or diagnosis is more appropriate. Right, right. You have to be discerning about yeah. those kind of things. That's why you know I use the example of, of list first and anything that's available on the internet. There's there's great stuff out there. Just be careful and, and discerning of how you interpret it, including Facebook posts. <laughs> Please yeah. be careful about that. Yes, please do. All right. Um, gosh, what else do we have coming up? Anything? Oh, yeah. We have uh, we in L.A. We oh. have an event coming up. I'm not going to be able to be there because I will be I in know. Vegas, baby. So on September 14th, um, I will be doing a really casual sort of quick meet and greet with Tammy and Bryce from Holly Weird Paranormal. And Tammy and I are going to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. <laughs> so um, we want you guys to come down to Carl Strauss Brewery down at Universal City Walk and hang out with us. Bryce will be there. Um, but he said there's not enough alcohol in all of Universal to make him go to the actual event of Halloween Horror Nights. So, um, But yeah, come hang out and drink with us before we go to that. That's going to be at about 
uh, like 6 p.m. We'll post all, everything 14. on social media, yeah. Um, and then we are planning some stuff for October as well. This should be local and um, information will be out soon. And then we're going to the, oh, this probably won't be out, but we're going to the um, Swindled event in L.A. this Saturday night. Yeah, I doubt we'll be able to get it out. Yeah. But we'll post some things on social media. Okay. Yeah, we have. All right. I think that's it. Nice episode. I know. It's so cool. fascinating. I love the weird stuff. I it's know. all a little bit weird, right? I know. It is. So look for us. We're Again, folks, we are so excited about being part of Crawl Space Media. We urge you to look at uh, the other podcasts that are involved with uh, their network. If you don't know Missing Mara Murray, you should check it out. Um, it's, it's amazing stuff. It's a great opportunity opportunity for us. Please uh, continue to come to our Facebook page and our Instagram page and give us likes. And the more uh, reviews, the better. We appreciate that. That's right. Yeah. And um, if you're interested in going to the American Crime Fest, the website is AmericanCrimeFest.com and you can get your tickets right now. I think there is a discount um, early bird rate right now if you want to get your tickets. Yeah, come meet us in Wildwood, New Jersey. I can't wait. I've never been there. It's going to be cold and November-y on on the coast. I don't know. I'm so excited. (laughs) All of my social media stuff about New Jersey has involved the Jersey Shore because that's all I know about it. I just, that's so sad. No, it's not. There's way more. There's way more to New Jersey (laughs) than Jersey Shore. All right, folks, we will see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. My name is Nick. I'm Brandon. We are the hosts of the Tennis Podcast, where every week we cover a different top tennis list. We cover lists such as the highest grossing films of all time, the best selling musicians of all time, the the sexiest mogwais, the richest leprechauns, the all this and more we cover on the Tennis Podcast. I had more. You can find us on all podcast players, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. All you got to do is search for 10ISH podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tennis Pod. Thanks. Bye.